Mike Sullivan doesn't enjoy adversity, but man, does he ever embrace it. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network, fresh off our biggest downloads day yet yesterday. Thank you for that. It makes a difference. If you set us to automatic downloads, it makes a difference. If you pass the word along, old school-like, let people know that we're here and that we're here every day with more to come. The Penguins also will have more to come after facing their own mortality in Game 2 last night in Toronto. And I dare say there is not a single script anywhere that would have pleased their head coach more than the one that we all watched from afar. That was as sound defensively all over the rink. And that's the way Mike Sullivan considers his teams to play defense. As you'll see the Penguins, as you've seen them going back to the early part of this regular season long, long ago. And there's a common denominator in there. There's a link. Every time since Sullivan has been this team's head coach going back to the middle of the 2015-16 season, when the Penguins have struggled defensively or been put in some other bind, like let's say, for example, all the injuries that we saw happen early on in this regular season, Sullivan sees an opportunity. He doesn't just talk about it. He doesn't he doesn't just say, "All right, everybody, here's a chance for someone to step up or all that other stuff." He he legitimately sees an opportunity to pound his system that much harder. Let me take you back to the road trip that the Penguins had in early October through St. Paul and Winnipeg. I covered that one. And the Penguins went up there with, my goodness, couldn't have been two-thirds, three-quarters of their roster at most, missing a lot of really key guys. And the Wild weren't really any good, so the Penguins beating them was no big deal. They went into Winnipeg the next night, and the, and the Jets were, you know, the Jets are pretty tough at home. And the Penguins just crushed them, just annihilated them. It wasn't even an interesting game. And it was with a whole bunch of Sam Lafferty's doing the job. Other players who had just been called up from the AHL. And what happened was Sullivan used them as chess pieces, but really pawns. No insult intended. But when Sullivan has players who he knows will do what he wants on the rink... He believes in his system to such an extreme that he's happy to have a Thomas DiPaoli on the roster. He's happy to have those guys. He has no issue with having them up. Sure, he'd rather have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and everything else, but when he has the chance, when he sees an opening, to enforce, 
to reinforce his system. He will lick his lips and go for it every single time. And you know what? He usually succeeds. If you'll recall, the Penguins, without all those guys early on, ended up winning and winning and winning. And not only that, they were scoring goals. A bunch of nobodies were popping goals. A bunch of nobodies were showing up on the power play. A bunch of nobodies were rotating back on the back check, supporting their defense, clearing out the front of the net, making life hell for the other team's goaltender. All these things that he wants, he knows that when he has someone at his beck and call, the chess pawns, if you will, he's going to have the system played the way he wants. So, the Penguins lose game one of this series. And the Penguins enter a situation, which as you heard me say here for a couple days in a row, was absolute must win. 56 times in NHL history, a team went up 2-0 in a best-of-five series. 55 times that team won. So if the Canadians win this, this game that was played last night, the Canadians win the series. Absolutely no doubt in my mind. This this was not going to be something that you could turn around, not with Carey Price in the other team's net, not with Carey Price continuing to look very good in the other team's net. Rest assured that Sullivan was pounding this message relentlessly with the Penguins that this was the end, this was the finish. You had to win this game. This was an absolute positive must. Rest assured he was doing that. Because when he does that, then he reduces all of his star players, the ones headed to the Hall of Fame and everyone else, down to those pawn pieces where he can say, look, I need you to do this thing. And that player has no choice but to listen. I need you in this situation to just bank it off the glass and get it out. Just do that. And you see it there in the third period. That's what the Penguins were doing. And I'm referring to whenever they were protecting the one-goal lead. But then again, when Jesperi Kotkaniemi scored late, and it was again just a one-goal lead, the Penguins just kept everything super simple, which is Mike Sullivan hockey. He got his way. And if you don't believe me that he would be ecstatic over this, just listen to the man. When their time is called upon to defend in our in our own end, uh, I, I think I think we're working together to do that. Our com- our compete level is high. We blocked a bunch of shots down the stretch there. Uh, you know, give Montreal credit; they they pushed hard in that third period. And uh, and when when we did spend some time in our in our end, I thought our guys competed hard to keep it to the outside, try to defend. Uh, try to defend hard on the puck, block shots when we had to. And, uh, and so it, it really boils down to a commitment level and, and just attention to detail. And I think, I think we're working at it. We're, and, and I believe we'll get better at it as, as the time goes on here. That's him happy, trust me. That's, that's what he sounds like when he's happy. 
And when he sees the team defend all over the rink and fight for the puck all over the rink, contest the Canadians all over the rink, except for they could still do better in the neutral zone. So I'm throwing that in parenthetically. But contest the Canadians. Limit them to 26 shots. Put up 38 of their own. That's when he's at his happiest. Because in his mind, and this is a hard stance to argue, the Penguins are going to score goals just by being the Penguins. Jake Gensel is going to make a great seeing-eye pass to Sidney Crosby cross-ice, and Crosby is going to find Price's five-hole and nail it. Connor Sherry is going to make an outstanding rush up ice, uh, exhibiting terrific patience on the right side before setting up Jason Zucker for that tap-in for the other goal against Price. He believes that the goals will just come. They're osmosis. Not that that they don't require some coaching or some uh, urging, particularly to shoot, particularly on the power play, which still is firing blanks. He just thinks that if you take care of the back, the front will take care of itself. It's the old... uh, Some of you will remember in 2016 in San Jose, Chris Letang telling me that Mike Sullivan's message for him the morning of Game 6 was just defend. And of course, Latang goes on to have this brilliant offensive game just dominating the San Jose zone. Why? Because Sullivan had already planted in Latang's head that if he just takes care of this on the back, the rest will just naturally come. That's his principle for the Penguins. That's also the reason why Over the past two, three weeks, I've been saying repeatedly that the key to this series for the Penguins, really the key to the whole playoffs for them, however far it is that they go, is going to be their battle and their ownership of the puck. If that sounds overly academic, so be it. That's the system that they have. That's the roster that they've built. What they tried to do to an extent in Game 1 was a little bit of track meeting with Montreal. And again, from a skill standpoint, the Penguins, you would think, would welcome that, but not necessarily. Because then you're leaving the game to chance. You're leaving the game to, well, they pop one, then we pop one. Then You don't need to do that. The Canadians don't have many offensive threats to be kind. They just don't. Brendan Gallagher is a nice, feisty hockey player. He's not anybody's definition of a consistent offensive threat. Thomas Tatar, who I thought was at least visible in Game 1, vanished in Game 2. Jonathan Drouin looks like he'd rather be on the beach. I can't figure this guy out. He is not even a shadow of what he was that one year, you'll recall, with the Tampa Bay Lightning when he just thrashed the Penguins for an entire series. So there isn't a lot up there when Yul Armia and Kotkaniemi are your main guys up front. You're not, you're not a great offensive team. So why even take any chance? The Penguins didn't. 
They pushed, they shoved, they fought, they barked, they bit, they did whatever they needed to to get the puck. In turn, in turn, you know whose name I haven't mentioned yet. In turn, Matt Murray played a pretty good game. And Murray is the other button that Sullivan loves to push or loves to have in a weak spot at the risk of mixing my metaphors. Uh, Sullivan has always and openly spoken of Murray bouncing back from something that's a tough situation. Now, again, Murray wasn't the reason the Penguins lost game one. He also wasn't the reason that they won it, obviously. I'm sure he'd love a million times over to have that Nick Suzuki angle back and a second shot at that, maybe keep the glove a little bit higher. But in this game, every time the Canadians did task Murray, every time they challenged him, Armia had a really good deflection on a pass from Drouin. I think you'll remember it if I describe it. It was off the left boards, uh, saucered a little bit, right to Armia. He goes and he redirects it up high, and Murray had his glove up and open and flagged it with a little bit of swag, too. He he, he raised it up, and he did a little little bit of uh, Don Beaupre for some of you who, who go way back in hockey. A little bit of showman there. That button might be Sullivan's favorite to push because it's almost never failed him. He sees Murray as someone who does occasionally need to be shoved from behind, whether that's by uh, a quality backup goaltender or, in the case of the 2017 playoffs, by just the presence of Marc-Andre Fleury being there. But he's always felt that a motivated, hungry, mobile, aggressive Matt Murray is better than whatever his other goaltending option happens to be at the moment. Murray can drive not just Sullivan, but all of the Penguins coaches a little bit nuts. Because nobody likes that trait. I don't think Murray likes that trait, although I'm not 100% sure Murray acknowledges that it exists based on conversations that I've had with him. Murray goes out there in this game, and he knows the same thing all the rest of the Penguins know. He knows this is it. Not, not just for the team, the whole 55 out of 56 thing that I mentioned earlier. And he knows he's not playing game three if he loses the first two. He's not. He's not. Whatever debates and discussions we were having before this were going to become a no-brainer had the Penguins lost game three I'm sorry, game two, no matter what Murray had done in game two, because you'd need to do something different from that point forward to clearly carve out an air of desperation. Murray knows all this. He knows he would have been he knows he would have been out. And he would have been embarrassed. And he would have been what, that would have been his eighth? Playoff loss in a row? So yeah, he was diving and scrounging and scraping and pushing and punching, uh, tripping. I saw a couple of whacks. 
he was tough. And that's the best version of Murray. Whether he acknowledges that or not, he's Mr. Even Keel. Nothing, you, you, when you talk to him, it's hard to tell whether he's won or lost, or won a championship or just got eliminated from that round. He just has that persona about him. Whether it's his real personality or not, it's hard to tell, but he has that persona. It's what you see, it's what you hear. But there's no question that there's something that gets pushed there. And he was very, very good. I don't think he's going to get much credit for it uh, around Pittsburgh because you know how it is. People just, it's like politics. People just make up their minds about something and that's that. But overall, overall, Sullivan got what he wanted. He got a big, giant reset button pushed on his system, A, and on his goaltender, B. Nothing could make him happier. The challenge now is seeing that through into Game 3 and beyond. I still don't think that's going to be simple. We're going to talk about that when we come back. The Penguins win Game 2 their Stanley Cup qualifying round series against the Canadians last night by a count of 3-1 to one in Toronto. The goals came from Crosby, Zucker, then an empty netter by Jake Gensel. By the way, just nice to see him pop one in after all these many months. He couldn't have been certain that he'd even be playing hockey again in this season at any point, no matter how deep the Penguins had gone. Not something to be overlooked, just kind of throwing it out there. The second segment of this program is always brought to you by the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. During normal times, one in seven people in western Pennsylvania are food insecure, including one in five children. Not knowing where your next meal is coming from can be a scary thought. Now, during the pandemic, it's that much greater. If you are in need of food assistance, or if you'd like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Spell out those first three words, no abbreviation, pittsburghfoodbank.org. One dollar can provide enough food for up to five meals. They're not there yet, and I purposely wanted to get a lot of the positive stuff out of the way in the opening segment because... I was going to rain on some of this at some point. Uh, It's one thing to battle for the puck and to win it. That's great. It's another thing to do something with it and to sustain attack zone time with it. The Penguins still aren't doing the latter. There's no line that they have that's consistently doing the latter. That has to come. It might not have to come against this opponent, but it's going to have to come sooner rather than later because the Penguins as the five seed are going to face the worst draw of anybody in the Eastern Conference as they continue to advance thanks to reseeding and all the other playoff changes that are in place this year. This isn't championship hockey. 
Uh, this is a team that kind of just got one part of things down right. I mean, two if you count goaltending as a separate facet. The Penguins still need to be able to generate consistent attack zone time, consistent pressure, so that they can consistently draw penalties, so that they can consistently or even occasionally do something on their power play. And I'm not even going to get into that. that. That's a separate discussion altogether. Uh, there's not much you can say about the power play. It's a handful of guys who really ought to know what they're doing out there uh, and still aren't really showing any kind of flow, any kind of rhythm, or even the appropriate movement, even though you saw stretches during this game and breaks when Sullivan was getting really emphatic on the bench with his power play guys, even Crosby specifically had his arm around him and his face basically right right, right there, not social distancing at all, letting him know where he needs to be on the power play, and he ended up down low on some formation where they were kind of going with more of a box that really didn't have much of a rhythmic feel to it either. There wasn't any player in motion. It was just, here, set up a box and play ping pong with it. They're going to have to be a lot better five-on-five. When they're facing an opponent that has threats to score as they come up ice, which Montreal doesn't, they're going to have to be a lot better. They're going to have to keep the puck in the opponent's end. That means cycling. That means having an awareness of where their line mates are. Oh, boy. Uh, You tell me, which line are you seeing? that's generating that right now. Don't tell me which line is generating shots on goal or which line is, uh, you know, getting shot attempts or having some nice rushes because that's not what I'm talking about here. For this team and this system and this head coach and this roster, they need to be sticking around in the offensive zone. And that requires... First and foremost, chemistry. Not just persistence and not just trying hard, but it takes an awareness. At this moment, the chemistry and the awareness that I'm seeing primarily exist between Sid and Jake, uh, occasionally with Sherry, way more than he gets credit for. Look, just because he blows chances doesn't mean he's not being symbiotic with these guys. If anything... His getting chances, as any hockey coach will tell you, is a credit to him. Second line, uh, occasionally, between Malkin and Zucker, they do some good things. Uh, Here again in this one, though, Rust wasn't there really that much after the first period. Not in this regard. The third line, other than a a couple of pretty plays by Patrick Marlowe, there's still just nothing there. there. There's not a definition to that line. I don't know what their purpose is. I don't know what they look like when they're optimal, and I've been bringing this up for about a month now. Back when I was just trying to picture what they might look like. And the fourth line was a little bit better. I'm still waiting on Brandon Tanev to have an impact, uh, literally or otherwise, in this series. Haven't really noticed Teddy Bluger. I thought Zach Aston Reese stepped up a little bit. But everything that I'm talking about here, if it sounds mediocre-ish, That's because that's where the Penguins were. They were a threat to lose this game as well. Yes, they defended. Yes, 
They fought for the puck. Yes, they won the puck, but what did they do once they got it? I didn't see nearly enough from the forwards. I thought the defensemen had some jump and got up there and helped out. Marcus Pedersen in particular was very, very good. I'm not going to insult you and tell you that John Marino was also very, very good because that's just obvious. So I'll just say that Pedersen was very, very good. (laughs) It's not enough. The pressure that's up there right now isn't enough. Uh, I can understand it's human nature when you know that there's an opponent that can't hurt you on the counter. You're not going to be as conscious of the need to stay in the other zone. You're not going to be throwing yourself into the boards and and reading off your line mate and cycling and grinding and rolling it back behind their net and then doing it all over again. But they're going to have to do it at some point in the playoffs, and I think that's the next encouraging sign that you'd want to see from the Penguins. Does Sullivan dare, after a performance like this, meaning a W, in which the other team had only 26 shots, make a lineup change? Well, whether he dares or not, he's not going to. It's just he's not wired that way. But I would still welcome the inclusion in some form of Sam Lafferty and or Evan Rodriguez because they fit what I'm describing here. They fit that attack mode that you want. They fit the grinding, battling on the boards, keeping the puck in deep mode more than some of the players that are currently in the lineup. Remember, the Penguins really just got Sid's goal for the longest time. And even that was off a rush where the Canadians just basically missed an assignment. It wasn't off some sustained attack. That has to change. So if you want to get greedy, go into Game 3 hoping not only for a W, hoping not only for continued solid defense, hoping not only for Matt Murray to keep looking as determined as he did in this one, but hope for something more in the Montreal zone. Coming up today at 11 o'clock, it'll be our Pirates pod with Alex Stump up in Minneapolis with the Pirates, joined by Noah Hiles. It's a really good show. You baseball people, I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for listening to this. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your bike, your computer, your window, your gun. Safety is a habit. Every day you lock and secure your home, car, and everything you want to keep safe. Gun safety and responsible storage are no different and the best way to help prevent accidents, misuse, and theft. If you own a firearm, it's your responsibility to store it safely when it's not in use. Choose a system that works for you. Cable locks, lock boxes, and gun safes are some of the most effective ways to protect your family and keep firearms secured. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure and find out how to get a free firearm safety kit. Visit projectchildsafe.org. That's projectchildsafe.org. If you have a firearm, own it, 
respect it, and secure it. Brought to you by the National Shooting Sports Foundation and the Bureau of Justice Assistance.